welcome to Flourishing Education, the podcast that provides you with conversations with experts and like-minded people who would like to see education turn into a flourishing environment for the well-being of all. So, are you ready? Let's start. Hope you enjoy this session. Welcome to another Imperfectly Perfect Conversation for the Flourishing Education podcast. Today I'm talking to Lottie Cook. So Lottie is a sixth form pupil and she's actually also part of Pupil Power. Very warm welcome to the podcast, Lottie. Hello, thank you very much for having me. Mm, Fabulous. So Lottie, let's start with your sixth form pupil. Do you want to tell us a little bit about you, what you're studying um, what you're enjoying in your studies? Yes, of course. So I'm currently in my final, I think, a week of sick form. God, that's crazy to say. Next week at sick form. Um, and I'm studying criminology, sociology and performing arts. Um, I love all three very much. And then next year, I'm hopefully going to the University of Warwick to study politics and international relations. So I'm really looking forward to that. Um, along with all the people power stuff I do, it's um, some great subjects and should be really good next year too. Mm, yeah, fascinating subjects and such a, I love the the, the you know the arts and the you know. Yeah, I wanted to be a dancer at the start of year twelve. I danced all my life, so I also took dance as well, and then when I got into people power a bit more it kind of geared off a little bit thinking actually I could do something with this but there's no way I was dropping any of my like performing arts stuff <laughs> so doing that alongside it has been so much fun yes I love it and you know what the arts the sciences they're all very valid uh, subjects and they should all be um, promoted and celebrated so well, I agree <laughs> thank you um, I say that I'm slightly biased but you know you know teaching <laughs> in the faculty of arts but you know <laughs> brilliant I love love that <laughs> I recognize my bias that's a start <laughs> oh dear so, um Lottie talk, talk me through pupil power what is it uh what does it stand for why was it created so pupil power was created by a lovely friend of mine her name is Elia when she was 16 and it was originally started looking at funding cuts and how she was frustrated at the fact that she was having to share a textbook between like four students in a classroom or that there wouldn't be enough chairs for them to sit on so like some people will be sat on the floor or on tables and the frustrations around how that impacts you know your education in the system and then lockdown happened um, and I was doing a podcast with Aaliyah actually I was on a panel with her and afterwards I messaged going hey I'd love to be involved in pupil power like let me know if anything you know comes up that I could do and we had a big zoom call with loads of people in January after I think it was January of last year as lockdown had started going no it wouldn't be January March of last year as lockdown had started going hang on a minute really horrible stuff has gone on in education we've had a minute to stop and think that this is not how we wanted to look what can we do to change it so from there myself and I think 60 70 young people then formed the pupil power network um which is a group of uh, properly young people from 11 to I think our eldest will be about 21 all who are in education and we are looking at ways to reform it and change it so it's more democratic and more student-led So one of the example events that we did a while ago was the big student call up where we got invited any student up and down the country and said, pop on this call and we can chat about what frustrates us, what we want to change. And we did that. We had this chat and then we created a massive document of kind of next steps for us as a network. So then now we've moved on to stuff around reforming the education system nationally and in our local communities some of which is a bit more underground because we're just the starts of it so I won't go into too much detail but it's really really exciting and a lovely place to be where it is there is no one who is one adult taking over the whole thing it's very much anyone can lead a meeting anyone can 
sort out an idea anyone can start a call it's yeah it's a lovely thing to be a part of mm, I love that so before we recorded I shared with you um the fact that I I'm helping three three young people on the 20th of uh, May next week um to hold an event and I'm very much all I'm doing is is through flourishing education giving them the the zoom and you know even bright so that's the support I've, that's the only support I've done that was all their words and the reason for that is because my son who is 13 and a half actually challenged me to put my money where my mouth is <laughs> saying you say you care about change in education and about young people so how about you give us young people a voice yeah, for your <laughs> what are you, your thoughts on that or on on the on the whole because that's something I've been really reflecting on recently um like you I think the last year has been a real journey for me in terms of um I'll completely admit last year I was a product of a schooling system, working in a system, trying to change the system from within, but not really questioning things the way that I am now, like a year on. Um, and I, I really think that I'd, I'd, before then I didn't really think about the idea of empowering young people to be flourishing young people and to sort of give them you know helping them supporting them in any way I can to have that platform um so is that your experience before sort of you know joining pupil power that maybe adults don't listen enough to young people yeah I'm exactly the same as you I was doing like the you know the classic school councils and applying for the head girl we're doing anything I could to like make less positive change at my school but it was like hitting a brick wall all the time I've told countless amounts of stories of us going oh actually we'd really like to reform this uniform policy or this behavior policy and we're met with no that's that's not what we you're here to do that's set in stone go have a bake sale instead and raise money for charity <laughs> and it's the most tokenistic thing ever um because we're more than a bake sale we're more than such you know basic face value work we all have opinions and we you know we want to get stuff done and it is is constant pushback from adults and I've never felt like I've been on that even playing field up until very very recently where I go to a really small sick form I've known these teachers since I was 11 so it's a lot easier to kind of be really genuinely honest and be like I don't like this we need to change it and stuff's done then um but everyone else in the network I think will absolutely say the same and being in a space where it is just young people you get rid of that power structure straight away so there's nothing to worry about there and that level of understanding and respect is already there because we all just had this mutual experience even those who may have been to a grammar or a private school can vouch for the fact that they've had tricky experiences too yet yeah, even though it is more privileged so it is a it's a wonderful space to be in in the sense that we don't have that power structure to deal with which I have unfortunately you know dealt with my whole life up until now mm -hmm. and I think that's that's something that again I've been acutely aware until very recently is that notion of so I'd love us to explore this if if you're happy um you know how we view our children and how we view young people in our societies. So, um, you know, there, there's a feeling that young people, we view young people are being as being deficient somehow or not complete as they stand. Yeah. And therefore, the adult needs to. I mean, you know, certainly you look at the a lot of the of the. Uh, policy and and the way the teaching is being done so you now I was reading Guy Clacton's latest book around the direct instruction uh, knowledge rich curriculum which is you know you're the empty vessel and I as the sage on the stage will fill you up with my knowledge um, that's very much what our society seems to to carry forward right that's the paradigm that's also you know very much I see the relationship with with my my son you know my son says to me no hang on I haven't finished then you can come in 
there's no way I could have done that with my my parents my parents my dad would have just gone oh, hang on <laughs> you know so I see already the relationship difference with 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 my own sons so you know is that your experience also so sorry I've, I've said a lot here but um do you think that the issue is how we view young people and what do you suggest we do to shift that sort of, you know, you would say you're talking about power balance, that sort of the fact that automatically if I'm the adult and I'm, I'm complete and you're the young person, you're incomplete. Mm. No, yeah, definitely. That is a massive issue. And when you were talking, an experience came to mind with the people power. When we were setting up this big event, we had a teacher email us and be like, we really don't think this is a good idea. This is unsafe with no adults on the call. I don't think anyone was over 18 at the time. And um, we think you should have adults facilitating this almost as if they'd missed the point of the whole thing we were trying to do. And their main argument was you haven't got anyone who's trained in safeguarding with you. So we brought this to a meeting and then myself and like several other people were like, oh, hang on a minute. We all work in schools part time or we all do this part time. We all have safeguarding training. And that assumption was we were all knowledgeless, as like you've just said, and that we were completely incomplete that way. And of course, we have a lot to learn. But it was what frustrated me was that assumption of we hadn't thought of things like that. And of course, when you're gathering 300 plus young people on a Zoom call, you're going to be thinking about the fact that there could be safeguarding issues and there could be stuff that has to happen. So, yeah, I was frustrated about the fact that there was a view that we hadn't considered that because of course we had. Um, and then it got me thinking, like you've just said, why are we viewed as incompetent in this way? And why can't there be a question of that coming to us and going, we've seen you're doing this event, amazing, do you need any help? Um, and I think then that stems to having a more collaborative process in education because we can't have that collaboration with this power imbalance. Um, and coming down to just a more classroom level, like you've said, the way it's sit down, be quiet, do as I tell you. Why isn't it? Okay, what do you want to do? Let's compromise this knowledge I want to teach you, but do you know it already? And can we adapt it in this way? Um, and that needs to be the direction we're going in because yeah, at the moment there's a power imbalance and a lack of respect for either side. Mm, I agree. And it's just the, the fact that it's, is this notion that you, like you said you know the, the power imbalance that means that you know i will i know for sure much better than you do and i'm not even asking you what your views are or what your um and i think i think for a lot of traditionalists or you know for for whom the the, the notion is the parents knows better and is there to shape the child that is going to be such a big shift in in terms of your mindset and your approach so i see it and i've seen it with the relationship i have or i try to have because i'm nowhere from perfect i get it wrong <laughs> when i get it wrong i just say sorry i got it wrong <laughs> um and but a lot of, of response, like, for example, when I go back home, a lot of my family is going, why? I mean, this relationship is very strange because it doesn't fit in, conform with the norms. Um, and I'd love to discuss one thing that's popped up for me this week in particular, is the notion between role and relationship. So what I've noticed, and even in my own role as, a, as an academic in a higher education, with some students, I establish real relationship. So it's not a I'm a lecturer or senior lecturer, they are students. Suddenly there's a relationship that happens. There's magic in that, you know, I get to know, I see them as individuals, they see me, and we connect and we create a relationship. Um, you know, I guess I'm trying to do the same with with my 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 children in the sense that I'm my role is parent, but actually it's all about building a relationship, a strong relationship with my with, with the two boys, so that they can grow into you know uh, well grown up, so who are independent and have the skills they need. So, do you feel that with that power imbalance, there's also 
maybe many of us teachers who are sort of being more guarded or parents and that focus more on the role rather than the relationship yeah definitely and um, I think it's easy to do because when you're a teacher it's you're put into a position where you're in a profession you've got to be professional there's so many this that and the other rules you've got to follow and I do get it because the constraints that are surrounding you um, especially in secondary or primary education are massive and the influence you can have on your students isn't as much and can lead a lot of teachers to leave I've had the pleasure of speaking to a lot of ex-teachers over the past yeah who the reason they've left is because they felt they couldn't make that difference that everyone goes into teaching for um so I, I totally get why it's so difficult but I think we need to have a larger focus on that relationship and without sounding too revolutionary um I think that role just contributes to capitalism so much it's just a okay you're doing this I am the authority you will now go to work with another authority and then do this and then maybe you'll be the authority at some point um but where I've had that relationship with teachers and it's been really useful to get proper advice and I think I've given proper advice back I think that shaped me so much more as a human being and not just a worker or someone who's going to have a career in the future um yeah mm, I love that and I love that example of like how your own experience you know reiterates that so I think that that's what I was pondering on this week is sort of how do I move away from the role you know, and establish more relationship. And I also had a, a conversation that I'm going to release in a bit later around, you know, inclusion, equity, and, and it was all about seeing the person, the individual in front of you, regardless of whatever label we may have given them, um, and going beyond the label so you can see the person and create a relationship. So mm. um, loads of common threads there. Um, <laughs> So going back to you know the setting up of the people power and uh, you know being unhappy, could you talk to us about what the key issues? So I assume you most of the people in the in the people power are people within the, the mainstream, or do you have yeah. people who are? Uh... It's mainly mainstream. We've got a couple of people that have reached out to me about joining who are have been home educated. But yeah, it's mainly mainstream and we had someone in a hospital school as well. Okay, okay, wonderful. So mainly mainstream, so trying to change the mainstream. Yeah, definitely. Because although we need that bigger representation, I constantly bring up uh, prison schools and hospital schools and those not in education at all at the moment. Um, I think that solidarity for a lot of us lies in a very similar experience in mainstream education, if that makes sense. Yes, yeah, yeah. So let's talk about that experience. What drove you to to create people power? What are the key issues for young people in the current mainstream? It's a really good question because it changes probably every day where new things come up from our government. Um, but we have kind of the main four or five that we stick to. One being mental health, getting increased mental health support in schools. Uh, two being getting a curriculum that's less ethnocentric. Uh, that's a really big thing for us. Three, obviously having an education which is more democratic and student led. Um, and there is a few more, but I think what we pride ourselves in doing is representing whatever the wider student voice at the time is kind of saying they want. Um, so when, for example, GCSE and A-level results were being put to this awful algorithm last year our, all of our focuses were towards that and getting that sorted and changed and done um whereas at the moment we're kind of in more of a quieter period where we're all in exam season but I can assure you the second second an issue comes up we'll be jumping on it um so it's it's a hard one to pinpoint exactly we've got several you know ideas of inclusion and how the curriculum should look but I definitely think we adapt so much it's yeah it's hard to say really okay I'm going to play devil's advocate here. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> really, you know, imagine I'm a traditionalist, which I'm not, but I just, <laughs> as a, I want to point out, I'm not a traditionalist. <laughs> I'm just playing a role here. Um, so, talking about, for example, democratic school, loads of people 
when I talk about, you know, for example, the notion of homeschool is at the moment I'm playing, toying with the idea of possibly looking at alternatives for both my 11 year old and 13 and a half year old. Um, and I'm not quite ready to take them completely out of mainstream, but we, we're talking, we're talking loads. If I wasn't, and I love the mainstream and I love the, the system as it is, you know, the high stake exams, et cetera, my reaction would be, well, why does it have to be democratic? You just yeah. do do as I say, uh, do as you're told. Um, you don't know best because we are the educators. We have the experience with the adults. So what would your response to, to, to that? My response would be, it may be working for you as an adult, but then that's great and wonderful, but that doesn't mean it's working for the students um <laughs> and I have this conversation a lot with teachers at my school as well it's very like this is how the way things are and I'm like well yeah great but no <laughs> absolutely not let's change that um and I yeah I think that's, that's my thing it's it can work for you but we've got to think outside of our own personal boxes and bubbles and I talk a lot with our members the way I've kind of progressed with the education system actually has been a level of massive privilege in comparison to some people I know who have just, it hasn't worked for them. They've had to take years out of school. They've been horrendously bullied and never been taken seriously or had issues of kind of undiagnosed dyslexia or something that hasn't been picked up because they're in an overcrowded school that can't deal with it. Um, and I, when hearing those stories, I'd question why you wouldn't go, oh, okay. So for those students, it's not working um, because those stories I hear so often and it, it does make me wonder why that doesn't kind of turn heads a little bit more than it does. Uh, but yeah, I think getting outside of that one track minded box and looking at so many other experiences um, will help people to realise that it is completely broken for the majority of its stakeholders. Mm. And I think I wonder if it's because it does work for some people. And so we just take it. You know, it's it, yeah. to me, the way I describe it is like, well, it works for some people, and there's a uh, for those who fit in. So, I often joke and say, you know, people who listen to the podcast, sorry, you've, you've heard me say this a lot. So <laughs> I'm a little bit like a broken record, but my um, my eldest is the perfect square that fits in the perfect hole that they want you to go through as they standardize on the conveyor belt, okay. Um, so it's this, you, you do your SATs and then CATs, because obviously the SATs are not good enough that you've got to be put in through CATs. Just make sure that the SATs results were right. And then you're taken through these funneled through like GCSEs. So it's if you're very academic, then you do only GCSEs. If you're non-academic, less academic, you know, um, you can do Cambridge certificates or, you know, BTECs or, you know, lesser cousins but we don't quite say that right mm. because the, the 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 funnel is right GCSEs high stake exam exams then you know A levels then the holy grail that university is preferably you know Oxbridge mm. you know. <laughs> that, that's the model right yeah absolutely and you look at the people who go to Oxbridge and they take up most of the high stake roles in the criminal justice system and in our government and stuff and then you think oh that's why the education system hasn't changed because it's worked for all of you and you're all in these amazing high stake powerful jobs with lots of money but what about us who are being left behind um and I often think about that a lot definitely yeah so it's sort of so one of the things I'm looking at is I've got two children both obviously completely different because we're all unique and that's 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 the reality of life. Um, one, you know, labelled already as very academic, so yeah, high potential. He's gonna funnel you through there. Yeah. <laughs> Bless him. Whether you want to or not, that's happening. Right? Yeah. And then another one who's less academic, which I assume as he goes through the system, as he hasn't started secondary school yet, will be offered you know less academic choices so I mean I don't know whether do do you feel that because as a parent I look at it and already I have an issue with I guess it's also because I'm French and 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 always question the language we use 
but I just so think using terminology like academic or academically able and less academic already you're putting two people in boxes and pigeonholing them right yeah absolutely um and I completely relate to that and it's the same with my sister is 18 months I have to think about that 17 months younger than me um and we've had that our whole lives especially because we're so close in age it's always been funneling us into these two separate boxes yeah if you ask she's taking ICT at college if you ask me to do anything with a computer I go and hand it over to her I have not got a clue um <laughs> and I think that this is a lot about what you said about being unique and different um and not more or less able and I think language is often people just leave it as a oh it's just a it's just a word but it's not just a word and it's the same with setting you put oh you're in top set you're in bottom set you're in this set um that again happened throughout all of school and it became a competition for me and all of my peers and my sister I didn't feel like I'd achieved if I wasn't in those top sets um so yeah I think we need to shift our language from more able less able top set whatever to different to creative to more logical that sort of thinking because also that's going to help employers in the future I don't think my employer is going to care if I can write you know this massive dissertation they're going to care about what, what does that mean for me does that mean I'm a logical thinker would I be useful in this area does that mean I'm a creative thinker do I work well in a team uh these more descriptive words are so much more beneficial um that I think we need to be shifting to those a lot more um and instead of damaging young people's self-esteem by putting them in sets and tears and whatever mm, and also i guess it, there's that notion that oh but if we say it you're you're red path or pathway a or pathway b yes. by giving it different names it, relabeling it people it almost felt like you feel i'm stupid and i don't i mean yeah no i get that as well right it's loaded definitely I completely understand that and I think I've had a head teacher say that to me he said well I could say you're in hedgehog class and you'd still understand what I meant by that and I was like well yeah completely so why are we setting in the first place and then there was this big like mind-blown moment like oh yeah (laughs) fair point why are we putting people in these separate pathways at the moment when actually the science shows they learn a lot better with in mixed ability classes um and those light bulb moments are hilarious when they happen because <laughs> to me my answer's on the tip of my tongue but because his life experience has been very privileged he's gone through that box as you said it's worked for him he then kind of went oh yeah that's really obvious isn't it and I was like yeah <laughs> it is <laughs> Yeah, maybe we need to change. <laughs> yeah. And I think this is what you described beautifully where I've gone through the last year, where suddenly I'm like, so I felt like I've never questioned putting putting the children into mainstream schools. Mm. And don't get me wrong, schooling hasn't been always plain sailing for me. It's been in fact very challenging. And you know, I'm I'm middle-aged. I've had to do a lot of self-development and sort of self-work to be the person I am right now because because of the you know not feeling good enough, not you know, the imposter syndrome, all mm. of the things that I see in young people. Um so but yes, I was like, wow, you know, it's done a good enough job. no I completely get you I completely get you because when you're in this system or you've gone through it and you're out the other side you haven't got the time to stop and think and change it because like you're already halfway through I had this my light bulb moment was probably when I was like 15 16 by then I'm out of secondary school I have two years left of sick form then I obviously I am going to uni but at the time I didn't know I could have gone who knows where and then I'm out of education system what can I do to change it um and it's very frustrating we haven't got time to stop and think I think we all need to have that and maybe this year has been obviously terrible but a blessing in the sense that we've we've stopped we've collaborated we've thought and now we're all coming back into this with a completely different mindset to what we had before Mm, yeah it feels like that just press the pause button I feel like I've stepped 
that's where you describe a theft of the hamster wheel because I was yeah I'm really early coming home really late and then suddenly I'm at home and yes I'm working at home still obviously long hours but you know both boys are in you know doing homeschooling um I'm seeing what's going on for them just thinking okay I think for me the biggest shift with with my youngest was he used to spend a lot of time saying I'm not very clever I'm not like my brother I don't get things quickly to through the lockdown working with him allowing him to watch videos several times seeing him saying oh bless well that for me was like well surely we need to you know there needs to be more of this mm, um, definitely yeah so I want to also go back to what you said the first thing mental health okay mm. so when I when I wrote my first book um the flourishing students I wrote it because I came back to higher education in 2014 and to say that I was horrified by what I came back to after nine year gap is an understatement. And one of the things I talk about in the book is the fact that I believe, again, it's language, sorry, I apologise, I'm a linguist, so... No, I completely love it when people talk about language. Go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) I like to to, to pick on language. Yeah. English is not my mother language, so my my mother tongue, as you can hear. Um, I had to learn it the hard way, so if I can do it... No, you've got it. I actually love the way you're dissecting it. I think everyone, this is why people need to learn languages because thinking like this is so, so important. Well, it, yeah, I think it links to that ethnocentric sort of, you know, that also one mm. of the, like, like questioning what's going on um, for you. But so one of the things that I found really difficult, both because I'm French and the terminology mental health is for us in French, the same as physical health. So it's something we have. That's mm. what when we talk, we use the terminology in French, you know, santé mentale, mental health. It's something you have like physical health. And looking at the first thing I did when I was, because I'm quite curious, I looked at the press. And in the press, all I could see is this mish, mishmash of use of mental health. So my take is in, in Britain, we use mental health, but we mean mental ill health. But we mm. don't say that. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's a big issue because mm. the problem with that is it feels like we've put everything in a bag, shaken it about, and we use the terminology mental health. But we don't know what we really effectively talking about. Yeah, definitely. And I, rev- I the first time I ever had this assembly at school about mental health, it was a teacher saying, you know, we all have mental health and I think that again was like what because we've all spoken it before as a some people have mental health as in mental health issues but it was just I'm not explaining it very well but what I mean in the sense that someone who maybe dealt with something like depression or anxiety was just viewed as having mental health but we all have it it all fluctuates and decreases and we all need to look after it um but yeah I agree with you that language is still not there and that assembly I had like three years ago maybe so it wasn't even that long ago that people were still talking about it using completely incorrect terminology yes and I think then that leads to my second point that I would love your take on is the fact that unfortunately because it's all in the bag shaken about and it's used but in a way that as, a, as an academic, I get a lot of emails from young people who are stressed out and rightly so, because, you know, obviously COVID, Brexit, all of mm. the challenges that we faced with, we experience stress. And so they write to me and they say, this is affecting my mental health. And automatically I want to say, yeah, of course it is. Yeah. <laughs> it would affect your mental health because it's a normal, you know, you're experiencing yes. stress. Um, but the problem with that, of course, is that in this mishmash and you know, sh- bag shaken about, we are, I believe, missing those who may not be speaking up and are really struggling and are having mental ill health and need professional help, mm. professional help. So 
is that your experience? I mean, you know, within the, the pupil power, what is your experience of that notion of mental health? And are you doing any work around the language and, you know, all, all of those things? Yeah, definitely. It's such a big topic. It's hard to kind of tackle all at once as well. So going through it from an education standpoint has been a lot easier for us because it, it kind of puts everything in clearer boxes. Um, but I think firsthand we can all see it. We all, I know I have one, I can't, don't even know what her title is, pastoral lead attached to my sick form who um, doesn't have any, and she's great, she tries so hard, but she has no proper formal mental health training. So when people come to her with these massive issues, she's kind of like, I don't really know what to do. Um, so that was a big click for me. Like, why do we have a pastoral lead who doesn't have training in proper mental health support? Um, and then speaking to the others, it was like, yeah, mine too. Or I'm attached to this teacher who I don't really feel comfortable speaking to, but you know, they're the, they're the designated mental health lead. So that's who they've got. Um, so looking at providing that better training is something really important that I like I personally I think we all think we need to need to come across it shouldn't be kind of neglected as a or we'll label you as the, the mental health person without giving you any formal training or experiences with dealing with these really damaged young people um, and then having staff members who are able to look after their mental health as well um, because what happens is then when you guys get stressed it's easily comes on we like we can see it so clearly um and I think again being 18 being an adult myself and my teachers it's a lot easier now to be like I'm having a really bad day can we just not um <laughs> between both of us but when I'm 11 or 12 it's very hard to kind of you know get that from people I think that's another thing staff looking at after their mental health and then everyone being human with each other again, is really important. Um, and I'm not saying go be completely vulnerable to your class of 11 year olds who you don't really know that well, that might scare them off. Uh, <laughs> but like, you can you can start talking about these things with them. Just what did you do on the weekend? Like who who's in your family? Make yourself a human being. And therefore that's gonna make them a lot more comfortable to open up to you as well. Um, and they're all very like groundwork things we can be doing, like humanizing ourselves, giving proper training to staff members. But of course, nothing's going to happen if we haven't got a government who's properly funding and putting mental health, you know, first at the forefront instead of every mental health awareness week going, yeah, look after yourselves and look after your friends because we're not going to do it, basically. Um, and it, it sounds blunt to say, but I've had so many friends who've had such difficult relationships with it that I can totally say that it comes to other young people to kind of pick up the pieces if we haven't got the the right support around them and I've gone on a ramble here but it's something I'm so passionate about and it's so vast I no, yeah no, I could go on forever it's, it's lovely lovely it's amazing and it makes complete sense and also um I would say I would add to that that obviously it's a, it's a systemic it's this it's a system mm. right so I I've been harping on uh, for since 2017 flourishing education equals flourishing students plus flourishing staff mm. and now I would even argue flourishing parents or carers because if I'm stressed as a parent and I shout at my child before they leave for school that will affect their day and yeah. walk in the classroom and with a stressed out teacher that is it that you already the system and I think where you've called it a systemic issue, you've hit the nail on the head because we view it as a lot of people are more susceptible because of their biology and their genetics. Yes, but all these social factors have a massive impact as well, which is going to make someone a lot more susceptible to having ill mental health. Um, and we need to be tackling that because obviously we're not the professionals. We can't provide that CBT or whatever. So why aren't we putting other support in place that's going to ensure that everyone surrounding young people and that young person has the least stressful, most calm experience through school as possible. Yes. And I think also you were going back to the mental health, you know, like tokenistics. One of my big things at uni for the last two years is I've been I've been trying to embed well-being in the curriculum. So mm. through what we do in our uh, in, in the language classes and the language curriculum, we look at what fosters well-being through my research. Um, 
and we know that, for example, there are five well-being essentials that have been sort of, you know, come from Australia. So we've been embedding those in what we do with, with young people. And one of the things that I have an issue with is this notion that you, you, you have, which is finding the balance between blaming the individual and saying to the individual, it's your responsibility to look after your yes. Um without looking at the environment. So in the book, I use the, the flourishing student, it's a, it, the model is a flower. And mm. I suggest that the institution is a garden and we all unique flowers and plants. So if I'm an orchid, I'll need a, you know, a bit of sun, sunlight. If I'm a climbing ivy, I'll, be a diff I'll need a wall you know, and, and different support, different soil, all of those things. Mm. Um, and the problem is we, you know, if the idea is that we want rows of daisies or sunflowers that look the same, mm. so we can all treat them the same, then it's easy to say to the plant, well, I'm feeding you, your responsibility to take the, the, the nutrients, yeah. which is an element of truth in it. Mm. But if you're a climbing ivy and I treat you like an, an orchid or an exotic plant and I don't water you or give you the environment you need, yeah right exactly it's like teaching a fish to fly it's, it's just not going to happen um and yeah I think you're completely right because I empathize with the fact that I think a lot of my teachers feel well I've given you all the tools you're not just using it but I'm like okay you've given me all of your tools you and I aren't the same person let's adapt that and change that to fit myself as an individual and all of my classmates um, and I get the frustration. I don't want people to think we don't empathise because I completely do when you've kind of been like, here are the tools, go ahead. Um, but it, again, it's coming back to that intersectionality thing. People are different, as you said. We're not all daisies. We're not all climbing ivies. Let's, you know, adapt and think to the individual and not just a system. Yeah. And so that's a really good point. How do we do that in a system when there's no money? <laughs> 30, 30, 30 young people in the classroom with one teacher yeah out of his or her eyeballs under a lot of pressure because they've got a lot of accountability and they've got to yeah perform and show the grades and the and the what i've always found highly amusing in parents evening is this thing that somehow the system believes that young people learn like that in a straight line. Like that's how really? it happens when really it's squiggly and yeah. messy. <laughs> oh my god yeah I was predicted like when I had my year seven parents evening they were predicting my GCSE results through this like upwards directory and I was like hang on a minute I'm 11 years old <laughs> this is crazy take a step back um and I achieved nothing like how they predicted it was completely different um higher and lower from what they suggested so yeah you've you've made a good point there um, and teenage years happen and something happens to your brain and to yeah. you as an individual <laughs> yeah literally and life happens like big things happen that changed me that I was like well that's not achievable anymore or actually I can go completely beyond what you said um but again you're putting young people in a box right you're saying hey you 11 year old you're going to be achieving this when you get to your GCSEs uh, off you go that's how it's going to work uh, like what <laughs> um, but I do get it because you're a, you're a teacher with 30 I've been in a class with 40 kids before and you've got to kind of deal with all of them individually and again it, it starts from the top we've got to be electing individuals who fight for a better funded education system um, and I get that especially after the last local election that's that's difficult to think about having a government that is education focused right now but it's definitely we all need to go out and vote that's that's the number one simple thing we can do um but also if you're a school leader is in like a head teacher or you're in a council and you're attached to school systems there are things you can do there are time you can put a place for young people to have you know well-being periods or to talk about their grades my sick form have so every wednesday on our last period we have it off like the whole college does and i think most of our my staff attached staff members do as well so if I'm having a really really hard issue with my homework or you know my mental health that week I have someone to go speak to why can't that be implemented everywhere because um that is a 
a weekly thing where not every young person is going to go and talk to their teacher because they're fine they could just go home and get on with some more work why can't that be implemented to all age groups and everywhere is what I would think of I had another point but it's just gone so <laughs> I'll, I'll let it fester <laughs> yeah it might come back so really you've given us a very simple example of what could be done that that's simple and that doesn't cost thousands of pounds for yeah you know for the system I guess um but I guess it would just mean that in in that we have to trust young people um because with that the 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 constant pushback is well if I give you an hour off you're going to cause havoc and you know go run wild um and obviously I'm talking from a sick former point of view this is all 16 to 18 year olds who know they go and muck about then they'll just get kicked out right because they don't have a legal requirement to keep them um but I think if you put that trust in young people they will put that trust in you back and they will I think I've always been so scared to break someone's respect when I know they've given me that respect and trust um if you're kind of being really scared about doing it I think young people will take advantage of that a little bit more um, so knowing that there's that mutual relationship, I, I don't think it will be broken. But as well, you can't be saying we can't do something because a few people are ruining it for everyone else. Uh, why are you? Why is that the kind of assumption? It's too difficult because a few people will, you know, make my my life a bit harder that day. Well, no, there's you know there's 30, 40, 50 other people who would really really benefit from that. Let's not take it away from them as well, and let's adapt it for the young people who maybe troublemakers and oh this is a podcast they can't see me doing that <laughs> I hate that word but y- you know what I mean <laughs> yeah. it's another label and another feeling, yeah. right it's just it's easier to give labels than to understand what's underneath the behavior yeah completely because it's not someone being a troublemaker there, there's a re- there's always a reason why there's always something that stems from it yes we I often say to to my two boys behind every human behavior there is a wish to either move towards something or move away from something mm. that that that's as simple as that as yeah. basic as that so let's understand what you're either moving towards or moving away from yeah completely <laughs> you know? completely I've never ever spoken to a young person who's just acting up per se like when you get to the depths of it honestly they're often frustrated about something and we work with alongside people power a group called no more exclusions and they work with young people who've been excluded from school and these are all teachers and you know adults and just kind of younger adults working with these young people when they get to the bottom of why everything's gone on it comes from a frustration of knowing that they've been put on the back seat from the beginning um and that is shocking and upsetting completely that that's what all these young people are feeling but I definitely if you're a teacher listening with that uh, person who you, you would view troublesome in your class like try and see you know why that is because it takes one person to listen and to notice for that young person to kind of make a change then mm. and I think that leads me beautifully into one of the questions I had to, to for you what you said you know your second point your curriculum and ethnocentric so as I said previously my background is you know I'm, I'm, I'm a French you know educator I, I teach French and I used to teach Spanish I also I've also taught sort of intercultural competence so what I call now cultural agility you know being French living in England I've had to adapt to the British ways of life which are so different from um, you know the, the French way way of life in some ways and mindsets and beliefs and that ethnocentric so you were talking about the teacher who looks at this child who is naughty you know or disruptive and again for the listeners I'm doing the <laughs> rabbit ears like you're inverted on the audio you can't really see us that's what I'm you know naughty uh, because they're not complying with what the system wants or you know without looking at what's underneath um underneath that there's my values my beliefs my past experiences and so you were saying earlier on about filtering through those um and I really more and more I think about that the more I think we should we would all benefit from being more culturally agile from understanding you know 
not just seeing so if i see you here sitting here now i may make assumptions about you so you know it links beautifully with the the unconscious biases um you know i i may not be aware that i'm already looking at you making judgments about who you are and what your behavior means and and again you know i think because the system is so demanding on 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 adults on parents on 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 young people and on on teachers none of us have the headspace to press the pause button and go am i unconsciously like judging this person or have yes. i come in with already that label like here comes mm. naughty son so <laughs> what are you what are your thoughts on that it's a really hard thing to stop and be like hang on a minute am i labeling someone because you've got a really question that inner voice in you and you may think that you'd never do that but i think we all to a degree do i mean there's no shaming admitting that as long as you go to change it but I, I completely empathize with that struggle as well um i won't go into detail but i have a wonderful teacher at college who has been dealing with a tricky student that has made her so like i just feel awful about herself sometimes because she's been working away and away and away at this student and then just got nothing back um and that's very frustrating when you've kind of done that am I labeling the student okay I am let's do this work let's backtrack let's think why you do that and then get nothing again it's yeah it, it's hard um but gaining that resilience to know that this you may be the first person to recognize this you may be the first person to sit and work with this this young person um, and you may be the first person to give them that bit of respect. It's going to take time for that relationship to build. Um, so no, I definitely get it dealing with those students, but it's it's a necessity to go into your unconscious and be like, am I labelling this person? No, okay. And I, I completely empathise. It's draining and we're going to make mistakes, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't do it just because it's too hard at the moment. We, we've, got to, we've got to try. We all do. Uh, this comes from a student as well. We, we've all got to do it. Mm, and recognizing like I did earlier on hey yeah <laughs> my unconscious not so unconscious bias. yeah totally that is my printer in the background I'm so sorry someone's printing from somewhere in the house oh dear literally <laughs> perfectly perfect conversation Lottie perfect exactly that's perfect um and, and I assume the ethnocentric has to do with um, something that I discussed on the podcast recently with um, Naomi Fisher um, around, I was saying to her I, how I felt at, at university, we were talking a lot about decolonizing the curriculum. And there's a part of me that in the back, background, you know, we were reading, um, rarest of work on you know uh the i don't know the name something of the oppressed um his book and and really the way he was describing education is still the way we do education so there was yeah. part of me that was going well actually talk about decolonizing the curriculum let's just decolonize education yeah. stop, right? literally <laughs> literally <laughs> no completely what you're suggesting what you're referring to in the ethnocentric is the notion that being a former empire there is still very much you know and and and, and this is not just a, a, a an observation of the british system it's true also of back home in france yes. um so former you know big empires who you know had colonies and are not really rethinking their approach is that is that how you view it or have, have I misinterpreted what you said no you're bang on completely no you you're, you completely got it um yeah it's the story I always tell me got to this conversation I remember really clearly a chat I had I was probably like eight nine with a teacher and that was he said well you know Britain weren't the good guys the whole time we did this we we owned slaves we had this massive colony and that looking back it was awful that that was the first time I heard someone say Britain weren't the good guys we were horribly racist sexist you know I could continue um and young people are going through a system told to be you know proud of their past 
knowing that actually some of this you know is really bad it's it's shocking and it's I don't want to be proud of the fact that I've been I've been born from an empire that's that's owned slaves that's you know started these massive wars um so yeah that is really important for white students like myself to learn about and to realize kind of okay our history puts us on a pedestal and we need to be bringing other people up to that kind of um level but also with people of colour um they're currently seeing a curriculum often with no people there who look like them and the history being about slavery and that being it when black history is so rich and so interesting and then you know they're learning about none of it and um I had a chat with my MP recently who said well you know there are options for schools to do that and my response was exactly you're putting it as an option you're saying that it's fine to have a curriculum that's very Eurocentric and focused on white people because you're just allowing it as a well you know you can be diverse if you want to it's like what on why that's that's a terrible thing to be you know saying and um, because then when these young people go and own their own businesses and companies and become part of parliament they're going to have this mindset of you know we can we can be diverse if we want to and then create you know again a system that works for our middle class white man and again I know I'm putting it very bluntly but it, it is the truth um so yeah it, it's really important that not only in the curriculum but I think staff and students and all parts of the education need to be decolonized mm. and I spoke to, to my husband this morning and I was saying actually you know also things like doing your unconscious bias of training mm. needs to be more than just a tick box exercise definitely and that also goes to uh things like learning about lgbt young people i think my school have done like one session on that in like four years just to just to say they've done it and i was like brilliant guys that that's great considering it's a community that changes so often um so with all those minor minority groups we have to stop it being a, a tick box exercise and stop it being ran by people who maybe know nothing about the topic as much as they try and they've kind of just been lumped with a you're going to be doing this without having any knowledge or you know prior experience of racism or homophobia or sexism etc mm. and when you come at it from a perspective of of ignorance and you have not acknowledged that. Yeah. I mean, I had that in a podcast interview with the head, with with two, the head of a of a pupil referral unit. Um, and I re-listened to the podcast and I was cringing at how many of my unconscious biases popped up. Mm. And he very kindly and gently just went, no. And so yeah. then re-educated me. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> literally and I get what you mean because then that makes people not yourself obviously but others shy away from hearing yourself back going oh god I shouldn't have said that and that can really really sit with you but that, that's how we learn and we adapt and putting yourself into those uncomfortable situations is like so so important and needs to be practiced that we willingly continue on and keyword willingly not just because we have to or to make ourselves look good and progressive or whatever and I love that because I was listening to a podcast from Brenna Brown and Adam, I remember what his name is, Adam Banks maybe, um, where basically they say if knowledge is power, then uh, knowing what we don't know is wisdom. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> like, perfect. Yeah, I agree. I literally agree. Like mic drop moment. <laughs> yeah, I'm like this. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I think that's such a good title for what we're talking about today. I think everything we've we've discussed ties into that really well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the fact that, and also, I think, really, in a way, what the fact that maybe we need to take a good, long, hard look at ourselves, and that that's not easy, right, Lottie? It's mm. it's it's not easy to look at ourselves and just go, oh, you know, am I racist? I mean, yeah. you know, when, with the with the Black Lives Matter, I remember, you know, thinking, okay, I don't think I'm racist, but then looking around me and going, okay, who are my closest friends? Yeah, completely. And that was a really hard moment for me because I was like, well, I say that, but actually most of my closest friends are 
like me. Mm, yeah. Yeah, completely. No, I completely vouch for that, definitely. And I think that unlearning came from, I think, we as people power, I think a week after had a big meeting where we just had a discussion about race. And that was wonderful because it was so collaborative and people putting themselves in these uncomfortable situations and members who are people of colour were giving up a lot of time and mental energy to kind of be like you know no this has been going on for years and you haven't seen it and we're not blaming you but like to a degree you were playing a part in this and to hear that's difficult but what I think young people are a massive credit to themselves is everyone on that call was like yeah no completely agree let's let's change things let's move forward um and that I think will strike people as interesting because that's a group of you know you're I'm doing the bunny is again you're progressive young people who you'd never expect to even consider themselves to have these unconscious bias to be unintentionally or intentionally racist in some cases but no we've all had to begin to recognize that we've got work to do don't get me wrong but if we as a group of people who are you know again woke um can realize that I think anyone can because we're the group that people would go yeah no no they've got diversity figured out they 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 speak about it and all these things no we haven't We're, we're still learning um, but we're a really good example of how to learn well and together. Yeah, and to be very, what I love about working with young people at, at university is how open-minded, you know, you use the word work, but really yes. how open-minded and willing to change your mind you are compared to yes. maybe some of us who are older, <laughs> rigid in our structures. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, I've got one last question before we, we, we round up, if I may. Go for it. Um, there, I have noticed in a lot of meetings I attend around change in education, there is a tendency to focus a lot on what's not working, what the problems are. Mm. A little bit of talk on what solutions, what change would look like. But very often I leave meetings feeling like, now what? yeah Um, so you know how do we push for change how do we get change to happen um and I guess I'm someone who's an option you know I like to take actions to do yeah yeah um so I'm like right okay so my question to you is you know okay we know what's not working you know we've talked a little bit about some of the solutions now what do you really believe we can change the system, the mainstream system? Is it too too broken? I wouldn't, you know, somebody said to me in a meeting once, it's not broken, it's doing exactly what it was set up to do in the mm. in the 60s, which was to churn yes. out to the obedient uh, factory workers or soldiers. Yeah. So is it, you know, that it's, you know, too far gone and we can't change it? Or do you truly believe and you know with people power do you believe we can change and what can we do what's the what's next I can understand that feeling of it being too far gone definitely especially if you're on a less privileged position of you and I and you've been kind of told to sit down and shut up throughout your whole life I, I get that but no we can definitely if we are all together in this change it and there are a few things that people can do as individuals so I think I mentioned it earlier but vote for people who have young people's best interests at heart vote for candidates that will represent us properly Um, and especially because you know until we turn 18 none of us can do that ourselves and that has been a massive frustration of mine and so many others and I think I've been ready to vote since like 14 15 I've been kind of invested in it and to have this constant well no we're not gonna listen to you because you're not a stakeholder in giving me this this seat in parliament is uh makes me want to tear my hair out honestly so please vote in young people's interests that's my first thing uh, secondly if you work in a school um getting having time and again I know it's difficult but we got to make time to sit down and have discussions about our frustrations and how we can change it with the young people that you talk to and I want to stress how important it is to go outside of a school council with this because I think everyone's going to go yeah that's fine I'll talk to the student council but no, they're predominantly white, they're predominantly female, they're predominantly very, very privileged young people. Don't get me wrong, they're great, I love them, I've been in them my whole life, but you know, they're not perfect. Honestly, I think they're, they're not fit for purpose anymore. We can abolish that and think of something new. 
um, reach young people who maybe are this close to being excluded or um, are, you know, in a Sen area who never get their voices, you know, they never get spoken to. Young people who are quieter, you know, ask them to, to you know, tell you their frustrations and their discussions and then act on it. Don't just have it as a of one conversation, mm -hmm. act on it. Um, and whatever it is, yeah, you, you, even if you think it's not achievable, be honest, say, okay, I'm not sure if we can do that. Let's do this instead. You can work with them and nurture that. I think that's really important. I'm trying to think of anything else. Um, and if you're a parent, I think meeting young people's frustrations with, uh, your young people's frustrations or whoever's with uh, an air of, okay, you're valid, that I completely get that because, I know a lot of my friends go home to parents who are like, well, you could have done that and this issue would have been resolved. Like, okay, they're, they're a young person with a lot of stress on them and maybe not the knowledge yet to think of that. Why can't you help them adapt and grow to then fit this education system? So parents, you know, you've got to be involved as well. And again, I know it's hard because I think as a culture, we, it's very, the kids go off to school and that's it. But, you know, please ask your child how their day was. Please get involved in that sense. And when they come to you with a frustration, meet it with okay what can we do to help you with this instead of a well yeah that, that's stupid like an invalidating response because that's not what you experienced oh, I'm brief I think that's everything um please stay in touch with people power and we'll we can tell you more about that but <laughs> in one breath that's all I've got off the top of my head <laughs> I love it. thank you <laughs> oh dear sorry Drop the mic, yeah, that's the one. <laughs> Amazing, Lottie. Thank you so much. My goodness, what a fab conversation. Um, I can't believe we've been talking for about an hour and 15 minutes. So. Oh my god, have we? I haven't even noticed. See, this is such a good chat. I've completely gone out of my head the time. <laughs> Amazing, that's, that's awesome. Thank you. When I wrap up with people, I always say, okay. If there's one or two things that you would want people to take away from this conversation, what are those things for you? Oh my God, what a good question. Um, I think number one, listening and action, um, they, they're, they're intrinsically linked, they go hand in hand. Um, so you need to listen to young people and you need to act on it. Um, and collaboration is the other thing. We're not gonna get far at all if we're not all on this even playing field. So yeah, no, collaborate with your young people. We wouldn't have had to form people power if we felt that collaboration already existed and that we were already empowered in our school system. So as much as I love it and it's great, I mean, please don't give us means to be forming these organisations again. Um, <laughs> please make this work for us because we can do it all together. We don't have to be forming this outside group to kind of, you know, put pressure on people to change things. We can, we can be doing this all together. Um, and we're on the same team. I've just given you three things, but hey, we're on the same team. We all are. Um, we want change. And I know it can feel like we've got a different solution to that by the end of it. But yeah, working together because we are all on the same team and we all are, you know, dealing with the education system in a, in a difficult way. So, yeah, that's about it. <laughs> I love it. And yes to cooperation and yes to being on the same team. And such a huge thank you to you Lottie for this amazing conversation and thank you so much for having me uh, this has been wonderful and I love everything that you're doing and I really want to read your book I'm so going to get it <laughs> thank you well you know um maybe if you send me your address I'll send you a copy I would love that yes please I will email you afterwards that's yeah, so we'll nice separately <laughs> oh thank you <laughs> again and, and um, I'll, I'll, I'll stop the recording here awesome brilliant thank you thank you for listening to our podcast I hope you really enjoyed it and we hope to see you soon in the meantime Take care and we hope that you are flourishing.